Welcome to the Coach Steve Clark Show, where he will encourage, inspire, and equip coaches, players, and parents who will in turn motivate and help others to promote the great game of tennis, foster sportsmanship, and develop greater players and people. Thanks for joining us, and here's your host, Steve Clark. Hello, everyone. This is uh, Steve Clark. Welcome to the show. Thanks for tuning in and also for uh, picking us up on podcast if you're not listening live, but uh, later on. Uh, thanks so much. Uh, once again, I'm very fortunate to have friends and colleagues like my guest today, uh, Georgia Bulldog head coach Manny Diaz. There's some amazing history at UGA Tennis, uh, and Manny has been an integral part of that as a player, as an assistant coach, and a head coach. And again, I'm glad to have Coach Diaz here as we delve into history and the perspective on many facets of tennis with respect to coaching, parenting, players, and tennis in general. Coach Diaz, how are you? I'm doing great, Steve. Uh, it's good to be with you. Um, uh, looking forward to uh, the next hour here chatting away. Great. Now, uh, uh we were just talking before uh, we went live here um, about an ATP event that uh, Coach Diaz is going to be doing some uh, some outreach to um, up in the Atlanta area. We'll get that yeah. uh, to that in a sec. But I would like to uh, just uh, you know bear with me, Coach, because folks, when you when you talk about the Big Four and you talk about uh, which I mean is like Stanford, UCLA, uh, USC, and Georgia, um, Georgia, and the things that they've done there uh, under Coach Diaz and uh, uh, Coach McGill many years ago, it's just eye popping. And uh, so I'm going to read through some of these things. And these are just some. I I had to delete a lot just to fit it on the program. Um, but 28th season as the head coach, is that right? You're going to 28th or 29th this year? Right. I believe I'm going into my 29th. <laughs> I started there you go. <laughs> uh, he's one of only two coaches in the program history at that level. So that's a lot of history and heritage in just two gentlemen. Um, and his 27th season, that would be last year or so, uh, the quarterfinals NCAA championships, and he won the conference leading 38th uh, title and the third in a row. And uh, he has a, uh, you know, for for those of you who, you know, keep track of these things, he's got a 0.823 percentage uh, winning average. So that's uh, pretty impressive. But um, more important than that, we know it's about shaping individuals and creating a culture of tennis, which they've done um, unsurpassed at Georgia. Four NCAA championships, two ITA national indoor titles, seven NCAA semis. He's one of three active coaches with multiple NCAA titles. And since becoming the head coach in 88, he has guided the Bulldogs to 26 SEC titles. It's 26. It's amazing. And he ended the season ranked he ended the season ranked in the top five nationally 19 times. 11 consecutive national top five finishes. 11. No other school has ever done that. And he finished the top 10 24 times and top 25 in all 27 years of it as a head coach. That's you know perspective uh, for you people listening. When I was coaching at UC Irvine, I, we were ranked every year, and that was a pretty nice accolade to be top 25 every single year. That's that's impressive indeed. He won his 600 match in April of 2014, uh, and he's the, just the 10th NCAA coach to have done that uh, in men's tennis. Um, and he's uh, 
obviously his teams do well academically, and they've won uh, the uh, academic award at the university of all sports. And uh, but here we talk about the first triple crown of tennis. That's winning the the uh, the team, the singles and the doubles, and that was the only the third time since 1977 that that feat had been completed. He's been an SEC coach five times. He's had 84 All-Americans, and he's had five four-time All-Americans, which would be like Mike Sell, Jamie Lassinger, uh, Stephen Baldus, Bo Hodge, and uh, John Isner, who we all know out on tour right now. So they were an All-American each four years, and that's an amazing uh, feat as well. Um, under Coach Diaz, Georgia's been among the most nationally televised collegiate programs. They made history in 2007 when its national championship uh, win in Athens um, at the Dan McGill Tennis Complex became the first collegiate tennis uh, match ever televised. So that's that's something that's becoming uh, far more common in collegiate tennis, and uh, we might, might talk about that today. Uh, Wilson, ITA Coach of the Year uh, uh, for several years, inducted into the Georgia State Hall of Fame, and also in his home country of Puerto Rico. Um, so clearly, and I had to run through those things for the sake of time, but an accomplished player, coach, and uh, uh, just a proponent of uh, tennis. And I, I want to lead off, Coach, if I could ask you, you are heading out. We had to change the time today. You are heading out to Atlanta to help out with an event there for the ATP Tour. So what is that? Why don't you fill us in on that? Well, really excited to be heading here in a couple uh you know, uh, in about an hour, I guess. <laughs> the uh, BB&T uh, <laughs> tournament, the ATP, the first off U.S. Open series begins uh, this week in Atlanta, and we're just extremely proud uh, to to kick it off. Um, you know, we you know the kids uh, had Newport uh, Hall of Fame tournament up there uh, a couple of weeks ago, and this kind of uh, is the start of the U.S. Open series, and we're glad to have our um, own uh, bulldog John Isner as a top seed. He he'd be defending his uh, title for the third year. Uh, he's going for a three-peat, um, and uh, it's always great to see John uh, come back into town and uh, visit Athens. He he spent the night in Athens last night and just um, you know touching base with uh, you know, a lot of people that meant a lot to him. Uh, so today I I, I got to go um, you know to Atlanta. Uh, be part of, uh, you know, just a, uh, an outreach uh, event, uh, you know, trying to kind of just uh, feed some balls, hit some balls with some kids. Uh, I, I believe it's college night tonight. And uh, and this is a part of where, you know, area college programs giving back, uh, helping grow the sport of tennis uh, and interacting with, with kids uh, of all ages, uh, you may say. So it's a lot of fun. Thanks, and that and those uh, kids go out there all day, and they get to jump on court with college players, and uh, obviously that's it's an inspiring thing. Uh, Wayne Bryan talks about you know side door, back door motivation, and that's a great opportunity for them to see pros, meet with, uh, mingle with the college players they may someday want to be. Right, that's right, and uh, you know you 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 get kids that uh, have been playing tennis that are excited about these uh, big time pros coming into town. But you also have kids that are just, uh, you know, looking at tennis uh, for the first time. And, uh, you know, the more, you know, the, the more we can get kids like that to fall in love with the sport of tennis, is that's, that's how we grow the sport. That's great. That's great. So I'd like to ask you a couple questions, though, to start off with. 
with, you know, I, I went through, you know, your current bio, uh, current meaning as a coach, et cetera. You know, but one thing uh, your bio doesn't uh, touch on on your website is you as Manny as the player. I mean, obviously, uh, you were a standout player at Georgia and then, you know, before that. So if you could, for the sake of maybe some of the juniors that might be listening or their parents that might, you know, play the podcast or whatnot, uh what was your uh, what was your experience playing as a kid? How'd you start? Um, that sort of thing. Yeah, well, for me, um, you know, uh, I was a lifelong baseball addict. Uh, you know, that was my dream was to, was to be a baseball player. Uh, and uh, I played all kinds of sport. I played volleyball was huge. Uh, you know, in Puerto Rico, I I played some basketball. Um, but my, my love was baseball. And, um, you know, around, uh, believe it or not, I didn't start playing until the age of 13 and a half. Um, you know, someone uh, said uh, to my dad, you know, a friend of his, uh, he used to play softball with, uh, with um, said, uh, you know, I picked up a new sport. You guys need to come watch me. I'm taking a lesson on Sunday uh, at the San Juan Tennis Club. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, we went for Sunday drives as a family when I was little and I just kind of just happened to kind of just go by and we peeked over the fence and, and there he was, he was, you know, my friend, my dad's friend was taking a tennis lesson and I, you know, I'm just watching and I go, you know, I just went, you know, dad, I want to have a, I want to take a lesson too. (laughs) And so that, 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 uh, that day he signed me up for a few lessons uh, starting the, the following week and, and the rest was history. I took 10 lessons from uh, this um, lady, Katita Miro, who, who started me. Um, and uh, after 10 lessons, she she basically said, you know, I pretty much taught you everything I can, but there's a, there's a guy here in town that is a wizard developing, uh, you know, good tennis players. Uh, you know, he, he's uh, taught Charlie Passerell to play. You know, he's he's taught Stanley Passarel, uh, Tico Carrera, who was number one in the U.S. Actually, Welby Van Horn was operating out of a four-court club uh, that was in a Hilton hotel in uh, San Juan, Puerto Rico. And out of that little four-court complex in the 1960s and early 70s, he had more gold ball um, players. He had more juniors win national championships than anybody else. Uh, just out of this little four court club and in an isolated little island in the Caribbean, we uh, you know we we would come to the U.S. and uh, in, in the summer and we would go from you know uh, the Southern Open in, in uh, Davidson, North Carolina, to Atlanta, to Nashville, to Louisville for the um, National uh, Clay Courts, to the, uh, to Springfield um, for the Westerns, and then on to Kalamazoo. So we spent about seven or eight weeks sort of uh, as a group kind of just playing these tournaments in the, in the mainland just to get some, some practice with people we really didn't really see. And obviously, uh, it's a higher level of, of play. Uh, we got to kind of just uh, spar with uh, with the be- very best. So, And that's uh, th- that was so much fun. To me, a big attraction – Obviously, I love sports, but I, I love to travel, and so I had some tremendous uh, friendships developed from that, and uh, uh, still do. Manny, that's awesome. In fact, that's you know one of the reasons I do this show. I mean to understand that. Now I've got a caller on here, um, and one thing about this show is uh, it's a blind caller. In other words, I I don't have a way to find out what their question is. But uh, I'm gonna. Oh, they hung up. So. Um, I was going to put them on the show, though. So if you are if you are listening, uh, give a call back, and I'll I'll uh, see if uh, I'm sure you have a question for Manny. So we'll get you going on that one. 
Um, yeah, that's that's a great story, um, and I'm sure you guys had tons of passion. It wasn't like you had to be told to go out in the court. You guys, uh, you know, traveling, you probably just were chomping at the bit. Yeah, it was it was great uh, to to be exposed to so many good players, obviously, and to meet so many new people. Uh, it was our obviously most productive part of the year, I, I think, because uh, you know we uh, you know we were uh, we we had to be self motivated, and we were you know. Our parents were making a big sacrifice, obviously, and, uh, and and bringing us, you know, to the mainland, and um, yeah, so a lot of expense. So um, it was uh, something that um, that we prepared for, that looked forward to, and at the same time, uh, you know, it was uh, something that when we got done uh, uh, at Kalamazoo, uh, we uh, you know we had something to look forward to for the next twelve months, you know, trying to make it back. Well, what about um, what about your college experience? Then maybe you could share uh, maybe how that developed. Because you know, a lot of kids yeah. they, they don't quite see the big picture. They see a high school player, then they see a college player, then they see a pro player, and they understand the whole process yeah. from one to the other. So, what was that like for you? Well, uh, probably uh, different for everybody else. For me, it was quite uh, quite a journey. I mean, I got to the University of Georgia, and you know, uh, back in uh, the um, uh, fall of 1971 it was a you know it was a pretty volatile era i mean you know with vietnam kind of winding down and uh you know uh i remember all three freshmen i went um to georgia as a freshman with our good buddy uh gordon smith who's now the coo for the usta uh and we were college roommates for four years we also had another freshman brent hughes all three of us kind of gathered that fall around the radio to hear to hear the draft i think it was a last that was actually held and uh uh you know so uh uh you know other than that uh we kind of you know grew very close obviously uh, uh when i came to georgia i wasn't a, a highly heralded highly nationally ranked junior i was just a good athlete and i struggled uh you know that fall to acclimate just like every other freshman uh, you know, the hours are long, uh, the, the practices were long, arduous, uh, and, um, I was, I was fighting for a spot. Um, and, uh, after many, a uh, challenge match, I was able to kind of crack, uh, the lineup and I started the year at number six and that really gave me, uh, the biggest boost, uh, I could have hoped for. I got so many matches, you know, we didn't have match limits back then. It seemed like we played three and four <laughs> matches a week. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, those were the yeah, days. Yeah, uh, yeah um, you know, I, I think I lost one match all year, seven, six, and the third. It allowed me to kind of, I, I was able to learn to win. Uh, to to learn, I, I got better at problem solving, and I, I became a more disciplined player. Coach McGill was phenomenal as a as a coach, in that he kind of taught you how to play percentage tennis, and I got to understand the game of tennis. I was sort of a slugger. I made a whole lot of errors, and he just gave me some patterns to to work with, and he told me what my strengths were, and what my weaknesses were, and how to how to try to uh, focus on playing with my strengths. Obviously, at practice, you work on strengthening your weaknesses, but uh, I just became a lot more uh, knowledgeable about the game and how uh, I could best, uh, you know, give myself a chance to succeed. So um, I had a tremendous career at Georgia. My first year, like I said, I played number uh, number six, and I improved so much in the fall of my sophomore year. We played challenge matches, you know, 
And uh, I actually uh, played uh, number one my sophomore year. So I went from winning the conference. We used to have flighted format. This was before the dual match format. Um, so, I mean, right. we, we had dual matches, but the championships, the NCAA tournament and the SEC tournament were flighted. Um, and so uh, I won the uh, my sophomore year, I, I won the, uh, the, the Southeastern Conference going undefeated at number one singles and won the tournament at the number one flight. So that was a huge, you know, improvement uh, going from the bottom of the lineup to the top of the lineup. And, um, you know, it just, um, it just escalated for there. From there, I, that sophomore year, I actually went to the NCAAs and on the last round to make all America my sophomore year, I lost seven, five in the third. It was heartbreaking. It was at Southern Carolina. Oh. I lost to Nick Saviano, 7-5 in the third uh, for All-America my sophomore year. But I was able to be All-America uh, the, the la- my last two years. And it was, uh, you know, it was a tremendous honor to represent the University of Georgia. And, uh, you know, I, I wanted to, to play professional tennis, and I, I did some my senior year. I blew my shoulder out, unfortunately. And, and, and you know, back then, you you didn't have arthroscopic surgery you come back from. If they opened your shoulder up, your your career was done. So I I um I uh decided not to have surgery. The doctor said, you know, you have a choice, you can have surgery or you can not play for a whole entire year. And uh so I had to kind of sit uh sort of on the sidelines and and wait for my shoulder to heal to have any kind of hope. My shoulder was never the same. It was uh I had a I had a big serve in college, so um, when I came back, I probably had about 85%, 90% at, uh, at the best uh, you know, points, uh, full recovery. Um, but I was able to play and travel a little bit, and I got to about 250, 275 in the XP uh, computer. And uh, uh, more importantly, I was able to, to play you know, all throughout the United States and Europe and uh, South America some, and and had some terrific experiences. Um, but that one year where I could not play tennis, I returned to Athens uh, to uh, take a couple of classes to graduate. Uh, and uh, and I got to help Coach McGill. This was before, uh, you know, college programs had an assistant coach. So I had to kind of – I just volunteered, and I stayed around the sport, and I kind of started helping Coach McGill. And, you know, at that point, I kind of just went like, you know, this is this is fun. This is exciting. I could do something like this um, when I get done playing. And um, lo and behold, the opportunity came about eight years later or whatever it was uh, to come back and, and be Coach McGill's assistant. In the um, fall of 82, I returned to Athens to be his assistant. And the rest is history. I spent six years as his assistant, associate head coach, and I was able to uh, take over the program in the fall of 88. Well, this is uh, exactly the segue uh, I had next is, you know, regarding Coach McGill, um, you know, if anybody's uh, read his uh, book, all of a sudden now, uh, you have to help me on this, man. He's a game set match. What, what, uh, what's the name of his uh, book that he wrote uh, that was at the Hall of Fame? You know, he has several. Um, there's one several. I think that okay. was a game set and match. He he actually yeah. published a lot of uh, a, a lot of uh, books and and booklets um, because he, you know, his first profession was a, as a journalist. 
And so he was a great writer. He, he, he wrote a lot of stories. He wrote a, a weekly column. Even after he retired for years, for about 20 years, he wrote, wrote a weekly column. Um, you know, and some were about tennis and some were about, you know, former athletes at the University of Georgia from football to baseball to track to, to all kinds of things. And uh, so he's got, a, he's got a bunch of them. I think the, the, the actual hardcover, I think it might be game, set, and match, like you said. Yeah, that's a, it, just reading through it, you, you know, it's just like when you're bringing up names who you're playing and this match there, you, you, you read through the book and history just pops out. It's a great book if anybody's yeah. interested in that. Um, so if you could, uh, you know, I, as a coach and even as a player, when I played back there in the NCAAs many, many years ago, losing to Tut Bartson, who, by the way, I saw this at the last NCAAs at Baylor. Oh, my gosh, that was that was amazing yes. to see him. And, uh, yeah. and uh, so he uh, – you know the facility there has been unbelievable. You know from the get go, and I, I think uh, you know even as a player there, then as a coach going there, we always had this sense that uh, Georgia hospitality was just something something to be matched. And you know I think Coach McGill uh, just you know he was just a gentleman through and through, and and I'm sure being his assistant. Uh, rubbed off, and I'd just like to find out maybe ways he influenced you or some of the maybe great stories or things about him as a as a person that and as a coach that you might want to, uh, you know, mention. Well, you know, Coach McGill just had this tremendous love for the University of Georgia. Um, that's why he actually um, crosses over. Uh, when you talk about Georgia lore and uh, Georgia athletics, he's probably the most beloved name, uh, person uh, ever come through the University of Georgia. People from all sports um, came across Coach McGill because he was in he, he was in publicity, but he was a sports information director uh, for over 25, 30 years. Uh, in addition, he became the tennis coach later. Um, so uh, he touched a lot of people and, and, and you know, he he um, he knew every sports editor in the southeast. So when he started to promote tennis and really get uh, into tennis and trying to build build a program, a first-rate program at the University of Georgia, he was able to uh, access a lot of uh, you know newspaper writers. So you know he was able to get great publicity for tennis and tennis at Georgia through. Through the 70s and even 80s uh, was a big time program. That's uh, that's that's what got us sort of uh, uh, those great tremendous crowds uh, when nobody else was getting uh, you know big crowds. And uh, you know he had a, a you know he had a way with uh, you know he, he he would write the article, send it to the newspaper, ask the sports editor to print it the next day, and make sure it was. Uh, so he was able to access a lot of things that, you know, your now full-time tennis coach uh, has a very hard time sort of developing those relationships. His his span back 30, 30 years prior to that. So he was able to build and, and put tennis on the sports pages back then when really nobody in Georgia really followed a whole lot of tennis. He was able to give it that exposure. And that's how we began. Uh, and that's how in my freshman year, uh, the spring of 72, we hosted our first NCAA championship at the University of Georgia. And we had, you know, in the neighborhood of 3,000 people in the grandstand. Not, never before had that been done. Some of the things uh, that, that I used to talk, uh, Coach McGill used to tell me, you know, like he, 
that was the first year they ever he he with his promotional mind mindset he put scoreboards on every court for the first time so the tournament had never had scoreboards fans could not follow the progress of the match so they could not remain interested he said so he had uh chairs on the court on every court for the first time you know most players just would flip you know to the other side and keep playing water was on every court just little things where players felt special uh and fans could uh follow um you know six courts uh that were in front of them uh at a time uh and so uh, that's how we started growing uh a big following at the University of Georgia coach McGill just had a tremendous promotional mind and uh tremendous contacts in the uh you know in the, the newspaper industry and the media industry and and that uh, went a long ways. Yeah, for those of you listening, we take those things for granted now, but this is exactly uh, one of the reasons I do the show is you learn things like this. That, you know, it hasn't always been this. And even now, it takes it takes a lot of effort and, and foresight and uh, risk-taking. Uh, some people may think, oh, that'll never work, or why are you doing that? Well, you know, be, now, I mean, yeah, I remember when I was playing there, I think the previous year, uh, I think Kelly Jones won the that year uh, in 85. I think before that was Flack and Seguso. And, I mean, the crowds were massive. And uh, I think that kind of set the standard for college tennis. It's like, hey, <laughs> we got to get the uh, – we got to get the barking bulldogs some run for their money, and and it, so was, was yeah. the barking like when John plays in the ATP this uh, this coming uh, week, is is it? Do you get a lot of barking fans up there for him even now? <laughs> do they bark for him? Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of fun. You know, everywhere he goes, he says he he could be playing in Europe, and there's two or three people and they're barking, and you know he knows he's got bulldog followers all throughout, but. Uh, yeah, I think that's 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 uh, a big point you bring, Steve. I, I think uh, when that started to happen at Georgia, I think it raised the bar not only for us but for everybody. And so uh, uh, now we see, you know, uh, some a couple of dec- decades later, now um, uh, everybody has a good tennis facility. Uh, we have so many more good coaches in in, in tennis and. Uh, you know, back back then, if you if we were top five in the nation, uh, you could say in the in the 80s, early 80s, if you were top five, and, and you played somebody in the top, fifth, you know, that was top 15 or 20 in the nation, it really wasn't um, uh, that challenging, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, uh, there, back then there wasn't the, the parity. Yeah, yeah, there wasn't the parity now. You could be top five. You play a team that's ranked 30, 35 in the, in the country. You better bring it. You better be prepared. There's no easy matches anymore. Uh, you know, and that, uh, you know, to a big extent goes to, you know, the fact that, you know, we've um, athletic directors have taken uh, an interest and in, in are trying to, 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 to push tennis to, to stay on top and, and, and keep us relevant and invested a lot of money in, in facilities and uh, coaches' salaries have, have really obviously uh, uh, gone up tremendously since the early 80s. Um, you know, I remember, you know, I came back to Georgia as an assistant coach for $12,000. Now people would say, well, that's that's 30-something years ago. And, you know, it still was a, a big sacrifice. Uh, you know, I took a huge pay cut <laughs> to become a college coach, but I, I could see the future. 
I, I knew I uh, was going to be um, a lot more excited about my work, uh, working with kids at this level uh, and trying to make a difference in their lives. And um, that's it's just what I wanted to do. So, um, but it's it's evolved tremendously in the sense that uh, you know now salaries, like I said, uh, you know are very competitive, and uh, and and you have a lot a lot more very good coaches uh, in 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 the college game. Well, thanks for that. I I, uh, I wanted to ask you along those lines, and is regarding coaching, um, what are the key characteristics of a great coach for you? And that could be, you know, at all levels, but you know, obviously, particularly uh, with college. But this could be, uh, you know, high school, et cetera. What would be, a, you know, key characteristics for a great coach? Well, uh, you know, I I, I believe uh, the coach. Uh, the the biggest uh, thing is a coach has to relate to to his uh, players, and I'm not talking about becoming best friends. I'm I'm talking about relate to where they are, uh, where they are in their commitment, where they are as far as having a a base, a uh, fundamental uh, base that's solid. You know how far along is that base? Uh, you know, and uh, uh, you know you not only have to be able to to improve you know technique. And, and improve uh, tactics, but you have to to connect with with your student athletes, and um, they have to trust you. I, you know, I, I have a very just uh, big uh, quote in my office. You know, the, the players don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Uh, so you have to connect with kids, and and they have to believe that you have their best interest at heart. Um, and uh and you're gonna you know you're gonna go to bat for them you're gonna give them opportunities you're gonna push them you're gonna challenge them uh because you want them to be better uh and um that's a very important uh i think part of what we do some people have said that uh, great coaches or leaders take risks. In, a, in other words, if you haven't taken a risk or failed somehow throughout the year, you haven't taken a big enough risk. Uh, you know, obviously we don't want to go take risk and fail every week, but uh, I'm just curious, any risks come to mind for you that a paid off or didn't pay off as a coach? I, I believe, uh, I believe in play, you know in, in getting our guys to play to win. I think the biggest challenge is is uh, is uh, you know when you have kids that uh, that want to play it safe. We, you know, our our you know our our motto this past year was was uh, you know struggle today, strength tomorrow. You got to be able to put players in in stressful situations. Uh, you got to put, uh, you know, uh, your best effort uh, in practice each and every second of practice. Uh, you know, really, with all the time constraints that we have, and we have to, we have to make sure we're making every minute of practice count. And so, you know, uh, when 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 you're talking about, uh, you know, taking risks, uh, you know, I believe in 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 in, in taking and having big challenges. Each and every day, uh, you know, you know, just being able to get kids outside their comfort zone is is, is a huge part of make, uh, making people better and getting people to to improve. If if your player is comfortable at practice, he's not really learning a whole lot, or he's not preparing for the moments, uh, you know, that are going to make a difference in a match. Uh, 
uh, because uh, whatever your you know area that you don't feel comfortable with, that's the area that it's going to be exploited uh, when it matters most in a match. So you know whether it's uh, you know, something that kind of just uh, it ticks you off a little bit, makes you a little bit uncomfortable. You know that that is where you want to put athletes uh, a good bit of the time in practice because uh, until you you feel comfortable in those moments, uh, you know you're going to struggle um, in competition. Yeah, I've, I've often said that uh, the quickest way to improve is to fix a weakness. And, uh, you know, it doesn't mean you spend, like you're saying, it doesn't mean you spend the whole time on it. But let's face it, someone's going to find it and they're going to exploit it. And uh, so often athletes, and this is for you juniors out there or even some adults, is uh, uh, when you're practicing, if you're just, you know, I, I find that, you know, for example, uh, whenever I run clinics or camps and, and there's people that, uh, you know, they spend 90% of the time. If I, if I threw some balls out and said, hey, go hit, I mean, I could, and if I hid behind a bush and taped it, I guarantee they're going to hit in, out of an hour, 60, about 54 minutes of ground strokes, and they might venture to net to warm up a couple of volleys. And, uh, yeah. you know, so the idea of getting all those aspects of their games uh, well honed. So uh, thanks for that, uh, that reminder. Um, on the court, I, I just got a Quick question here, you know, for, well, it's not actually, the answer is probably not very uh, quick, but uh, your philosophy of coaching in general, uh, coach, and then maybe uh, your f- coaching philosophy on court as a as a college coach, because obviously in the juniors you can't do it, but the special thing about college is you can. So what's your philosophy of coaching in general, and then maybe your uh, philosophy of coaching on court? Hmm. Um. Well, that's that's a very general question. I, I think that uh, more and more um, uh, as we've gone along, and, and, and I have, I think coaches, if they're not changing, if you as a coach are not changing, um, then you're becoming stagnant. And uh, uh, it, it's uh, it, it's imperative that, that you relate, like I mentioned a little bit earlier, to each player a little bit different, uh, differently, uh, you know, and, and uh, you know, you know, if uh, you, you may have a player that uh, you know needs to increase his shot tolerance, and and you have a player that you know can can push with the very best, he doesn't need to be doing you know cross courts uh, for 45 minutes. Obviously, he needs to be working on other areas. So I think a huge part is being able to you know come into practices each day with a game plan, um, and, and a game plan that's gonna uh, that's gonna benefit each and every player. I tell my players, you know, we may, we may, we're going to work on, you know, five or six or seven different things throughout practice, and, you know, two or three of those things are hugely important to you. Uh, two or three things that may, may, you know, be sort of aver- of average importance, and they may be, may be a drill that, uh, you know, you do, you do for, for the benefit of somebody else. And, but uh, but the main thing is that uh, you know, many times uh, I, I believe that if you go into practice with a very structured um, practice that uh, you know you're going to waste half your practice. I, I come in with a game plan and I, you know, I I write it out, at, but I am very very cognizant of what is going on with each and every player, whether a drill is being um, uh, 100% efficient, effective, uh, and um, and if I notice something not going the way I wanted it to go, 
I'm quick to make adjustments. And, uh, you know, a, a lot of coaches, I think that, that one of the biggest things that I think young coaches um, fail at is to recognize when, you know, you you have a player that, is, you know, stayed up till 2 o'clock in the morning, uh, you know, working on a final exam or a, or a term paper, and, and he's a little bit off uh, as, as they can be, and it's, it's natural. Sometimes, uh, you know, these kids just go all day, all day, all day. And, um, and and maybe stayed up a little bit late for practice, and he's not at his very best. I've got to be quick to, to, to move that player to do something a little bit more specific to, to, that that's going to be productive. And so the, the, the biggest thing is to maximize your practice time and make sure that you're addressing individual needs as well as team needs. That's uh, good stuff. Uh, as, as a competitor, Coach, um, I've got a question for – and this really kind of helps, I think, uh, parents and uh, maybe how they relate to their kids or the expectations, et cetera. Um, you know, as a, as a coaching colleague, I've watched you over the years. You know, we watch each other. We try and, you know, pick what we can. You know, obviously, you're with yeah. your uh, – more people are going to be watching you than you they. Uh, is uh, I've watched you and how you carry yourself on the court. And, and you know, you, you expect sportsmanship, the way you even interact with uh, referees. If something went screwy, you know, it's like uh, you don't go ballistic. Yeah. You kind of hang in there. and um, it's, So, obviously, sportsmanship is uh, and true competition is important. And I'm just going to give you a, a short little background to this question and then let you fire away, is, um, you know, the whole idea of competition originally, the idea of uh, even from the Latin, uh, which is competere, is the idea that we you you work with somebody to get better. And so I get on the court with you and we battle and we fight it out. But there's not this disdain for the opponent. There's not this interaction with the crowd. It's I'm on the court with you getting, getting into it. And I think that's why you see these great players at the end and great matches. They, you know, they get up there, they hug sometimes and say, Hey man, great match because they, they brought it, you know, and they helped each other yeah. raise their level of their games. I, I think that's waning these days. I think it's missing. And, um, so I'm, I'm, uh, asking coaches, uh, you know, what do you think about this and how do you think we can combat this trend? I think uh, the, that you're right. Um, I think uh, rivalries, uh, I think whether it's college or even when I look uh, at a junior tournament, rivalries are becoming more sort of bitter. Uh, and, you know, there, there, there's, there's a, a curve that at some point it becomes sort of a, a um, you know, a, um, a level of competition that does not improve performance uh you know uh and, and we all been there i mean you know you 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 play a guy that you hate you know you're so consumed with and, and you're so not on track um to really play your best tennis when 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 you're that i think competition is great but I, it, it, but it, it, there needs to be some level of respect and it, it's exciting uh, rivalries should be exciting I remember in the old days, I mean, when I was in college tennis, uh, when I was a player at Georgia, I mean, our rivals were Florida and Tennessee. Well, you know, nothing's changed. It, it, the only thing that has changed is there was there's more than two teams that we're really competitive with. And in the SEC, you know, it, it, now we got 12 teams that can beat each other on any given day. So, But back then, you know, they were our rivals. And it's incredible Today, I go back as a coach for Georgia, and I play at Florida. And a lot of the time, we, we play Florida in Gainesville. It's some kind of reunion 
for their players way back when I played. And I see Florida players that were my um, uh, opponents. We have tremendous relationships. We have a tremendous – we sit down and we talk about this match and we talk about that match. You know, and, and we're the best – we're great friends. And I don't see that part anymore. I, I see tremendous, uh, you know, rivalries. Uh, but sometimes we just kind of go our way and we never really got to know those people. Um, I, that's one area that I, I'm a little disappointed in. I think that coaches uh, today can do a better job in that regard. You know, it, it, it's important to have great sportsmanship. It's important to go out there and butt heads. And at the end of the day, there's always going to be one player that comes out victorious and one player that, you know, had a setback that day. You know, sometimes you can play great and just get beat. Hold your head up high and really be proud of the effort you gave today. You just get, you know you came up a little bit short, and you know you just get to the net and it, you know, it was a great battle. I I just love uh, you know I just love that part of sports and a lot of times I feel like now it's missing. Uh, if you lose, you know it's just a, a temper tantrum or you know disgust. You're disgusted because you lost, and really um, uh, that that couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah, I hope uh you know, I hope when people are listening to this, it's you know, if you re- recall coach's comments earlier when he was uh growing up and getting into the game, it was you know, a lot of sacrifice by parents, etc. It's the same now, and I think sometimes the sacrifice that parents make becomes a heavy pressure and the expectation and so I think this influences things a lot and and uh Anyway, I think one well, of the things me, that you mentioned. That. Think, yeah, me, go ahead. Let me yeah. touch on that. I mean, you said you know, it's it's. Did you mention the word pressure? Uh, I, I believe a lot of that comes because uh, so many kids so early on. Uh, I mean, they're not uh, not too far from being uh, an immediate player. They're already have their private fitness coach. They got their private sports psychologist. They. They're so sheltered in so many ways. Uh, sometimes, uh, you know, they're not being kids. Uh, and I understand that the goal is to, you know, for some of these kids that want to be a professional tennis player down the road, you know, eventually, you know, that may be a necessity. But, you know, you're you're 15, you're 14, you know, get out there with the, the kids, you know, butt heads, be friends afterwards. Uh, you know, hang out at the club, just enjoy, uh, practice hard. Yes. You know, go to your clinics, play your matches. I don't, I don't see our kids in junior uh, that are playing junior tennis right now. You just don't see that many kids playing sets. Uh, and that's one thing I think is, uh, it's just not, uh, right now it's just not being done. Like we used to do, we used to go certain days to the club and then all we did was play sets you know, three three days a week. That's that's what you did, and uh, you know sometimes you 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 play you know three out of five sets uh, with somebody. I just don't see that happening today. Well, that's that uh, actually is a question I had later on. What do you what do you see in junior tennis? And so yeah, speaking to that, that's uh, that's good. Just I think because well, the sometimes worst thing I see, uh, the worst thing I see is nobody wants to lose. <laughs> uh, you know, right. everybody's trying to avoid losing. I'm talking about practice. 
<laughs> That's what right. I'm going to say. Practice, Put it yeah. on the line. Yeah. You know, uh, th- th- yeah. th- that's you just got to, you know, get out there and compete. No, that's right. That's right. And uh, it's a whole lot of drooling th- going on. <laughs> right. One of those things related to that is uh, what would you, uh, as a college coach, like to see in tournaments? I mean, obviously, when you're dealing with certain ranked or level of players, but, you know, as you've talked with coaches and whatnot, what, what do you think coaches would like to see at tournaments, whether it's sectionals or what, you know, what works uh, well, uh, that well, sort of you, thing, look, or what look, maybe look, you don't want to see? We all want to see somebody that has uh, an ability and an upside. I mean, that, that's that's uh, that's uh, without even, uh, you know, question, obviously. We're just looking for somebody that's got some magic. But honestly, the, the thing I look at when I go to Kalamazoo and, uh, at, at tomorrow uh, is um, you know, I'm looking I'm looking to see how these kids react under pressure. How how well do they compete when things are not going their way? How how do they embrace the struggle of a tennis match? Um, it's it's not all about how well you look when you're winning. That you know uh, that may you know that may tell you you know this guy is a very talented player. But I'm telling you. There's there's uh, there's a dime a dozen talented players. I mean, there's so many talented players. But how many you know t- tennis players can can figure out what's going on on the court, can use their heads, can struggle through you know through the moments and and try to come out and try to turn the, the, the match you know as best as they can their way. How, how, how can they how can they compete when they're down? You know, do they roll over? Do they just stop trying? Do they get so frustrated uh, that they really just uh, you know uh, don't have a chance? Really, they just go down in flames. Uh, Would you yeah, like to see so more to doubles? Me, to me, in that's tournaments? a huge. That's, I'm sorry. Would you like to see more doubles in tournaments? More backdraw? Like some tournaments, I, yeah, it's one I, and done. Well, I, I tell you, I I, I think uh, especially at big tournaments, I know that you 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 can't have them uh there's court you know constraints and this and that but yes i think i think uh, the back draw is one of the areas uh in a tournament that really shows character i mean you know i guarantee you i'm going to go to kalamazoo there's going to be there's going to be 50 withdrawals out of the back draw and you really learn you know who's um you know who's really into this thing and and who takes pride in bouncing back from setbacks and tough and who's not What do you uh, what do you define as success, Coach? Um, and this could be this could be as a coach or any endeavor, um, you know. And, and how would you uh, measure that? You know, if you said, "Hey, I had a successful year," or "You're a successful person," how do you define that? And how would you measure that? Well, I'm a big, you know, John Wood <laughs> John Wooden uh, you know, fan, uh, and, I, and I think that you know, success is being the very best that you can be, and just wherever you are. Uh, along the way, I mean, did we, did we, you know, did we, did we prepare as well as we could possibly prepare? Uh, you know, were, were we the fittest team in the country? Uh, did we compete as, you know, as well as we could have competed? Um, and uh, and um, you know, did did we aim high enough? Uh, you know, you always have to have uh, goals that make you a little bit uncomfortable, that make you reach. Uh, basically, uh, you know, we have a, a set of goals. We partner with every every year. We, you know, we want to be the, the 
the hardest working team in the nation. We want to be the fittest team in the nation, and we want to be the closest team in the nation. And if we achieve those things, we're going to compete for SEC title every year, and we're going to compete for a national championship every year. That's great. I, uh, I, I'll i chime in on that. That was one of the things I challenged the guys uh, Eastern Washington last year was there is one thing you can control, and that is – are you the hardest working team in the country? You can you can control that. You, it doesn't matter if somebody else is looking and says, "Oh well, you know, Georgia competes harder." Are you the hardest working team? Are you the yeah the most fit? Are you the most mentally tough, etc.? You can control those things, and uh, you can't That's control right. the outcome all the time. Um, I'm going to just take a short break here. Um, and it, for those of you listening or just joining in, uh, you're listening to the UR Tennis Network and a Coach Steve Clark PhD show with. Uh, Coach Manny Diaz of the Georgia Bulldogs. Just like to acknowledge Events on Fire, they offer complete event planning services for entrepreneurs and small businesses. Go to eventsonfire.com. Also, Wilson Racket Sports and the Eagle Athletic Fund for Eastern Washington University, the team behind the teams. Hey, Coach, uh, you know, we've gone over quite a bit. Your history as a player, uh, college, juniors, uh, Coach McGill. Georgia Bulldog, uh, you know, traditions, et cetera. What has changed in the game, you know, that you would say, even maybe since John's uh, graduated? And I remember my players playing against John, and I have a real funny quick story, though. I One of my players is at Wimbledon watching John play that match against Mahout, that one that went out on how many how many days. Yeah. And, and I texted him. I said, wouldn't it have been nice to have held on that last game? Because I think we're in a position to actually break to win the match or something at doubles. That was our only chance for a win against you guys that year. Um, and uh, <laughs> it just eva- ev- it evaporated. <laughs> and I said, how, how nice would that have been? But uh, So even since John, um, John uh, graduated, has there been changes uh, that you've seen that maybe juniors and uh, players coming up into the college ranks might want to uh, glean some wisdom from? Um, you know, I, I, uh, I don't know that there are huge tennis, uh, uh, changes as far as, uh, development. I, to me, the biggest thing, it's, it's just, it's continuing to evolve and we're continuing to learn, uh, is, uh, you know, sports science as it uh, applies to tennis. I mean, tennis training, per se, athletic tennis training is continuing to have, a, I think, a bigger and bigger impact not only on junior tennis and college tennis, uh, and pro tennis as well. I mean, you know, the physicality of the sport uh, is uh, is uh, is just continuing to expand. I mean, you know, you see Djokovic, you know, you've seen Nadal. It's just these guys are tremendous athletes, and uh, they're getting stronger, leaner, quicker, faster, you know, more explosive. And uh, and this is, I think, something that trickles down. I think we're seeing that at the college level. We're seeing a fitter, more explosive, uh, stronger uh, player. We're having uh, better uh, uh, strength and conditioning coaches as it relates to tennis. You know, for my first 20 years, we used our strength and conditioning coach was, you know, a former football coach that didn't really know a whole lot about uh, tennis and how to make a tennis player better. And I think that there's more, you know, I just sent my strength and conditioning coach to a tennis training uh, convention right here in association with the BBNT that Mark Kovacs uh, is holding. And he's got people from all throughout the world. And so, you know, 
my coach gets to learn what's the most relevant, what's the newest, what's the, you know, uh, studies continue, uh, continue to come out. Uh, that actually, you know, that actually uh, allows uh, our strength and condition coaches to improve our kids. That, to me, is the biggest, ex- most accelerated um, part of what we do. Thanks. We're coming up to uh, the end of the broadcast in a, f- in a few minutes. Um, and before we get there, um, I'd like to ask uh, Manny, if if you could give us, and this is, again, for college players, uh, parents and kids coming up, what do you consider to be the characteristics of a champion? So when you're talking conference champion, NCAA champion, or just somebody who's a champion out on the court, we look at a kid and we go, man, that guy's a champion or that girl's a champion, even if she didn't win the event. What are the characteristics yeah. of a champion for you? I, I think uh, without a doubt, I think is that um, uh, champions don't uh, don't put their egos on the line. Uh, when they're out on on the court, uh, they understand that you know whether they win or whether they lose a tennis match, they're no lesser a person if they lost. Uh, I, you know, one thing I really just you know I've had two players that have gone on to be top ten ATP players, both uh, peaked at number nine, and, uh, and that was Michael Pernforce in eighty. You know, we had him 84 and 85, and he went on 86, 87, and got French Open finals and, and you know, Davis Cup here for Sweden. Um, and then John Isner did it, uh, you know, um, a couple of years ago when he got to number nine as well. And none of those guys stumped on a tennis court because they just had to win in order to, you know, validate themselves. So I'll be the, the the first thing that comes to mind is uh, you know, and, and that allows you to compete better. That allows you to play to win. Uh, too many guys just get to that precipice, you know, uh, where you actually have to commit, where you have to jump, you have to play to win, you have to you know play your best when your best is is needed, and uh, and, and and that's the first thing is just having that trust. Great players um, don't get too hung up. Uh, what if? What if I? What if I just try a little harder, or just just go a little harder, or just challenge myself a little bit more? Uh, what? What if I? You know, John Isner. I mean, I've seen him go for those second serves. You know, on break points, uh, he doesn't hold back. You know, it's not like what if I miss it. You know, they just they just do it. And they know that you know if they if they came up short that day, you know they they're going to sit down, they're going to evaluate, they're going to learn from it, and they're going to get better. Um, so that that to me is is the most important thing. That's uh, good advice because uh, yeah, it's just I mean ultimately it is a game, um, and uh, I think for yourself and myself, we grew up playing a lot of other sports uh, even prior to tennis and uh, you develop that competitive I think that's one of the things is just competing healthily Um, and then when you play tennis you realize mentally it's just a brutal sport so you have to have that grounding in there to have to deal with that uh, yeah yes Um, if you could I'd just like maybe in the last uh, few minutes here if there's anything um, you'd like to maybe share or anything upcoming events or uh, anything that you'd like to leave our listeners with um, 
you know, I just think that, uh, you know, uh, college tennis is a very viable um, part of, uh, obviously, player development and uh, would love to see uh, more and more um, developmental coaches, uh, club pros, um, you know, bring their kids to tennis matches, college tennis matches. I guarantee you, uh, if you think uh, the pros are accessible, college players are so much more accessible. You don't have the hoops. You know, you don't have as many hoops. Uh, you know, bring, you know, every single tennis college program uh, it probably can coordinate a a, a clinic, uh, you know, uh, for kids. We are, we are in college tennis, we are trying to uh, reach out we are trying to help grow the sport. We're trying to, more than anything, help grow interest in college tennis. So we'll we'll do whatever uh, we can to connect with your kids. If you're a tennis pro at a club or an academy or whatever, uh, and and really help uh, the game that we love the most. That's uh, that's a common theme I hear almost every show, and I'll chime in on that. That's. Uh... You know, it's backdoor motivation, getting those kids there. That's probably more valuable than hitting another bucket of balls. They see some great player. Um, you know, I know my son, he's watched, he's watched. In fact, uh, we went and watched uh, Georgia play, and and uh, Coach Diaz and his entire team took a picture with my son. We have that up on the wall. Same thing with other schools. Uh, so those things are huge motivators to get the kids out there. In fact, I remember one time, Coach, one of your players, and I, I pardon me for uh, – not remembering, but uh, we were at Stanford, and he walked across the street with, you know, the whole team was walking, and your player, your number one player at the time, I think it was, just kind of hung out with my son and talked with him um, because he had remembered uh, the, the earlier that year or prior year that uh, they had gotten to know each other. So stuff like that makes huge memories and uh, motivation yeah. for kids. So I'll uh, I'll echo that. I'd like to finish before we end um, with just a couple thoughts here. Um is your normal inspiring? You know, when we get out there on the court, you know, Coach talked about giving your best. Is your normal inspiring? Somebody watching you play, somebody watching you work out, do people get inspired or, or is it ho-hum? They go, oh, that wasn't very good. So I'll challenge uh, players out there, especially juniors uh, getting ready for college and college players. Is your normal inspiring? And the other thing I'll leave you with as well is if you always give your best, you will sometimes play your best and one time be the best. And Coach alluded to this as well, is always giving your best. And that is, uh, you know, sometimes people aren't even sure what that is. But if you drain the tank mentally, physically, emotionally, that's where you get the pure enjoyment from and uh, giving your best. So, Coach, I'd like to thank you so much for joining the show today. And I wish you the best up at Atlanta and this coming year. Thank you so much, Steve. Good to be with you. Um, all the best. This is a great All right. show. Thanks again. Great. I appreciate Hi. it. Thanks. And uh, until next time, uh, let it rip.